Now let's go to our scripture reading for today. Our scripture reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, in the past few years, we've been moving slowly, gradually, uh, along the books in the Old Testament. We covered parts of Genesis, the book of Numbers, Isaiah, Psalms. We went through the entire book of Song of Solomon, which was fun. And we also covered parts of First and Second Chronicles. And in the past year, as you know, we finished the Gospel of Mark. And my initial thought was perhaps going to the book of Revelation because it's a book that a lot of people have questions about and not a book that a lot of people have heard a preaching series done on. And um, That's what I wanted to do. But after thinking more about it and praying more about it, I thought uh, doing a book that has more of a bridging effect uh, might be helpful. And the book of Hebrews uh, is such a book. Um, it's not a book that's only helpful in bridging the first parts of the New Testament to the last part of the New Testament, but bridging the Old Testament to the New Testament as well. It has this overarching message that really encompasses the entire Bible. And I thought it would be a very helpful book for us to uh, dive into together. Now, there are a couple of uh, noteworthy things about the book of Hebrews I want to mention to you. Uh, For one, it is one of those books that are often um, neglected or Uh, ignored. And if you're like me, growing up in the church, you may have heard several popular, well-known passages from the book of Hebrews, but uh, it's not very often that we've heard an entire uh, series done on the book of Hebrews or heard it preached on verse by verse, chapter uh, by chapter. And so I hope that as we do this, as we dive into the book of Hebrews together, it will be a fresh encounter for you and give you uh, new insights into the Bible and into God's revelation. Just as when we dove into uh, Song of Solomon, many of you were surprised to find that there was such a book in the Bible and that kind of message uh, in the Bible as well. So I hope that the book of Hebrews would give you a similar kind of uh, effect. And not only that, another noteworthy thing about the book of Hebrews is because it has such an overarching message that covers the whole uh, Bible, it's going to require a little bit of Uh, heavy lifting on our parts. Uh, When it comes to focus and our effort to understand, uh, this is going to require some heavy lifting. It it requires understanding of certain theological concepts uh, that can be uh, sometimes difficult to understand. But I really believe that if we uh, dive into this and press into this and stick with it, the payoff will be great. Uh, I believe that this will give you the, the theological tools that you would need to navigate through Uh, much of the entire uh, Bible. So uh, with that in mind, I hope that you go in bracing yourself, um, readying yourself to study God's Word and find its relevance and its application for you now during this season because even this book uh, is from God and He still speaks through it uh, today. So remember that. Remember that this is not milk. This is solid food. Okay, It's not an appetizer. It's more like a a medium-rare steak. So let's go into this with that in mind. Uh, Having said that, uh, what I want to do today is focus more on the background of the book itself and um, looking at the very first verse and drawing some background information from there and also think about 
what might be an application or two that we can draw from it. So a couple of things about the background that I want to look at. Uh, authorship, dating, and audience. We're going to look at authorship, dating, and audience. First thing is authorship. We do not know who uh, the author of Hebrews is. We can only guess as to who the author uh, might be. Uh, the author doesn't identify himself, doesn't give us a name. Theologians have their guesses uh, based on the writing style, based on the very familiar knowledge of the Septuagint here, uh, which is the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. This is a very scholarly person who has a great handle on both the Hebrew language and the Greek. And so uh, some have considered Luke to be a potential author, uh, Paul to be a potential author, or Barnabas to be a potential author, but we do not know for sure. Now, a very reasonable question you should be asking at this point is, does that then not affect uh, this book having the status of canonicity, meaning uh, being included in the Bible, to be a book of the Bible. How can it be considered part of the canon when we don't know who the author is? And it's a very uh, reasonable, very good question. To be a book of the Bible, uh, first of all, it has to have apostolic authority. It has to have apostolic authority. And uh, the author here is clearly identified as one who has such an authority. He was a close companion of the 12 disciples, uh, just like Mark and Luke were, and therefore their writing uh, had also apostolic authority and is included in the four Gospels. They're conveying the teaching that had been given to them from the 12 apostles. And in a sense, they had been uh, ordained or given apostolic authority by the apostles themselves. That goes for the, the author of Hebrews. Now, for those of you who have a, a more of a skeptical bent like me, uh, the dating will also help you with this understanding. Uh, so let's go there. The second thing about the background is the dating. Another way we can discern the authenticity of a text and its historical and uh, scientific reliability is the dating. Michael Kruger, he's a New Testament scholar, and he says that the best scholarship on the book of Hebrews uh, dates the book back to mid-first century, around 60s AD. There's a lot of evidence for this, but for the sake of time, let me just give you one indicator for that. Uh, the author of Hebrews, time and time again, uh, gives signs and indication that the temple of Jerusalem is still there in place. Uh, now, why is that significant? Because it was in AD 70 that the temple was utterly destroyed by the Romans. And so this uh, gives us the, the reasonable inference that uh, this book was probably written a few years before the destruction of the temple. Um, this also makes sense of the, the author's continual plea all throughout the book of Hebrews to the Jewish Christians to not go back to temple worship, the old way of Judaism, as a form of uh, worshiping as Christians. Now, why would he need to make that case if the temple was already destroyed? Uh, because the temple was still in place and uh, they were drawn Christians were being drawn to the old practice of temple worship that the author here is making the case uh, that old uh, way of temple worship is now obsolete. And so from all these uh, reasons, we can infer that uh, this is written around that period of time. And from that, here's, here's a very important thing that we also draw from this. Um, 
if we're talking as early as 60s AD, that means the, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, uh, 12th being repla- uh, the replacement for Judas Iscariot, they would still be alive during this time. And so it would have been impossible for some imposter, a fake apostle, to write his own uh, epistle or book of the Bible and start spreading it in the early church without it going through the apostles' approval. Um, The fact that this book was circulating and uh, was being taken as an apostolic book as early as 60s indicates that he was clearly someone who was given apostolic authority by the twelve. Apostles. So, given this early dating, uh, we can also be assured that the church officially recognized him, the apostles recognized him as an apostle, and therefore we can recognize him as someone with apostolic authority and receive this book as part of the canon. Uh, the third thing about the background is related to that, and it is the audience, audience of uh, this letter. We have to get the audience right, in a sense, to get the whole book correct. So this is, very, this is a very important point. I've alluded to this already, but let's look at verse 1 again and take a look. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. It is written to, as the title implies, the Hebrews, uh, the Jews. Uh, it's primarily written to Jewish Christians, but it's secondarily written to uh, non-Christian Jewish people as well. The primary audience here, in other words, is Israel, the people of Israel. Notice here the emphasis on how God spoke to them long ago by the prophets. Right? Who's that? Who, who are these prophets that he talks about? And um, you can probably name a few on top of your head, right? Like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right? uh, Moses, of course. These were people handpicked by God to convey God's message to a specific group of people, to Israel, to the Israelites. They were not uh, self-appointed to go talk to whoever they wanted. They were chosen by God, commissioned by God to go speak to God's people. And so uh, it, you can't randomly self-appoint yourself as a prophet and go tell people, hey, I have a word from God for you, and um, thus saith the Lord, and so on and so forth. Uh, you simply didn't get to uh, do that. And that, that very clearly tells us here uh, the audience is Israel. And he makes this really clear when he adds our fathers. He says our fathers, meaning he himself is also an Israelite, and he's speaking to his fellow Israelites. And the added significance of that is the author is speaking as an insider. Someone who is intimately familiar with the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures, and the importance of the rich history they have in temple worship. So all the corrective things that he's about to say, uh, be it in the form of teaching or reproof or, or even warning at times, it shouldn't be taken as a matter of ethnicity Uh, but as a matter of theology. Uh, There's no, for example, any sort of um, uh, cultural ignorance or racial bias in what he is saying because he's not speaking as a Gentile to Israelites. He's speaking as an Israelite to Israelites. This is about conveying the truth about God. 
and the truth about how his people are to worship him. So it's important that we keep this in mind that uh, as we read a lot of corrective um, exhortations and admonitions here for the Jews and for the Christians, that the writer himself is a Jewish Christian and he's not writing with any kind of bias uh, or, or um, cultural ignorance, but speaking as an Israelite himself, conveying God's truth to his people. So these are some of the background information that we need to keep in mind as we uh, study the book of Hebrews. Now, let's raise the obvious question here. How are we uh, to apply this book to ourselves if this is written by a Jewish apostle to Jewish people, when I am neither? Um, how is this going to be relevant to me? How are we to apply this book to ourselves when it addressed to uh, Jewish Christians who are tempted to go back to temple worship when we feel no such temptation ourselves. Right? None of us are itching to go and sacrifice uh, at the temple. Now, let me leave you with two points of application here. Here's one. We have to remember the 2 Timothy 3.16 principle. All scripture, it says, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, we have to go into this book knowing that there will be things here that will profit us by uh, teaching us, reproving us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness, because this is scripture, and all scripture is God-breathed. And the question we have to ask ourselves is whether we really believe that and whether we're willing to receive that kind of correcting and reproving and training. Are we willing to be uh, changed through this? And the, the softening of our hearts and the humble reception of the word is what's going to make this, the study of this book profitable for you. So I want to encourage you as a first point of application to pray for such a heart. To pray for the heart to receive the word of God for what it is and be given the spiritual ears to hear and let God breathe his word into your life to profit you. Here's a second point of application. This book was written during a time when Jewish Christians were experiencing a certain disillusionment with the person of Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, the people were hesitant whether Jesus is all that he's hyped up to be. Uh, shouldn't there be more than this? Uh, shouldn't there be more for us to do, like uh, going back to the temple to, to continue to offer sacrifices to God? Might there be perhaps a newer way of practicing Christianity, a more exciting way to practice Christianity so that I can get out of this spiritual slump that I'm in, that this is plateaued state of spiritual life that I'm living right now? And a lot of people, as a result of that, were returning to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews is writing to them to show them and to prove to them once again that Jesus is better. And Jesus is superior. The overarching message of the book of Hebrews, uh, when you look at all the commentaries, all the uh, historical, contextual, linguistic study of the book of Hebrews, they all come down to this main point. Okay, the book of Hebrews has this main point. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior to them all. There's no one who can save you more completely. No one who can satisfy you 
more totally. Uh, there's no one who can love you more persistently than Jesus. Now, I wonder if you're seeing now how this applies to us today. Even though we're not like the Jews who are going back to Judaism, nevertheless, we have other kinds of isms that we are tempted to go back to, don't we? When Jesus is not all satisfying, what do we do? We return. We return to the former things, the things that Jesus saved us from. When our focus is not on Jesus and Jesus is not all satisfying, we return to the excess of pleasures and comforts, foods, drinks. We return to being too controlled by our work and the people in our workplace, our ambitions. We return to people uh, to save us from our relational insecurities. We return to the fear of man's approval or disapproval. We return to living out of fear and not out of love. We return to all these things that left us uh, more scarred and wounded than when we first begun. And, and the apostle here who authored the book of Hebrews, if he were to pay our lives a visit and observe the way we operate right now in our current state of Christianity, I really believe he will convey the very same message. He will say, hey, here's what the Jewish Christians did back in the day when they were taking their eyes off of Christ. And here's what they had to remember. And I'm going to give you the same message. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior than them all. And so that's what we have to keep in mind as we go into this book. Jesus is still better than all the things that we are turning to, all the things that we're uh, escaping to, whether that's comfort, whether that's pleasures, money, entertainment, uh, people's approval or success, recognition, whatever it is. Uh, Jesus is still superior to them all. And the question is, of course, do you believe that? And perhaps more importantly, are you living that? Are you living in that reality? Maybe you had once, but drifted away. This book is for you. Uh, maybe you have never lived that or believed that, and you're wondering as you're you know, watching this service, um, is there something here? Is there something in the person of Jesus that can finally give me this peace, give this rest, finally make me feel acceptable once and for all, and save me from my sense of shame and inadequacy? Um, can Jesus somehow redeem me from all my past mistakes and promise me a better future? This book is for you as well. This book is for all of us because the answer we find in the book of Hebrews is that in Jesus, we have our yes, yes, and yes. You need, and I need, this Jesus revealed in the book of Hebrews who is superior to them all. This book is about keeping our eyes on him. And he is inviting you and me uh, to see him as he is. And, and he's offering us his salvation and the joy of his salvation once again. So you and I can not only have had laid our burdens down, but continue to lay our burdens down, continue to rest in our Lord and Savior. And when you do this, when you find 
this salvation joy in Him, I believe you'll find a new song in your heart, uh, a new reason to enjoy and delight in your Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. Uh, there's a hymn that my children are learning right now that I think sums this up really well. It goes like this. Fair are the meadows, fairer still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer, who makes the woeful heart to sing. I believe we need this reminder, uh, as much as the early Jewish Christians did, that Jesus is the fairest of them all. Jesus is the fairest of them all. And the mirror that we can look into uh, to be reminded of that is the Word of God. And this is the good news that's, that's summed up in these two simple words in our verse today. God spoke. The good news is summed up in these two words, that God speaks to His people without giving up. Despite millennia of rejection and disobedience and ignorance of God's Word and, and God's prophets who were put to death even, God continued to speak. It's, it's common for a relationship to find itself in, in sort of a troubled season, in troubled waters, when one or more persons in the, in the relationship says something like, we just don't talk anymore. Uh, I don't feel like we're communicating these days. Uh, that's how you know that the relationship is in trouble. Why aren't you speaking to me? But you see, God always speaks to us. Uh, he does not relent. He is faithful to His people. He, his love is steadfast and undying. He's faithful to the end. And therefore, you and I can be encouraged to listen and speak back, respond back to Him. Uh, some of you, and I'll close with this, some of you may have been following the artist Kanye West and his story of being born again and his recent conversion to Christianity. Um, well, he had a song back in the day uh, called Jesus Walks, in which he said this, I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we ain't spoken so long. Well, recently he was on a talk show and he performed this song again uh, after his conversion. And in that version, in that performance, he changed that line. And he says this, I want to talk to God and I ain't afraid. Why not? Um, how, how can he not be afraid um, after living so uh, for himself, uh, after living all those things that he describes in his previous songs? How can he now be uh, utterly without fear, be without fear when he comes to speak to God? What takes away the fear? It's this. It's understanding that even if you haven't spoken to God for a long time, even if you have left Him for some time, even if you have denied Him and been un utterly unfaithful to Him for a time, He is the same. God remains faithful. He is kind, He is gracious, and He is merciful, and He is ready to receive you. And how do we know that? Because He is speaking to you. He is speaking to you. He continued to speak through His Word and by giving Him His understanding uh, through His Holy Spirit 
to us. God is not silent. He speaks, and He's speaking to you today through His Word. The only question is, are you listening to Him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your constant faithfulness and love to us, for speaking to us through Your Word. Would You give us ears to hear so that we would draw near to You, so that we would be able to respond to You. Draw us close, Lord, no matter how far we are. Uh, Help us to realize you have never been far away. You are always near. You are always speaking. Now give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.